Hi, welcome to After the Crisis with Victoria. On this podcast, we talk about stress, trauma, plain old bad days, and how those events impact the way in which we walk through the world. Everyone needs to be heard, and I am here to listen. Together, we will find realistic, healthy ways to turn our setback into a comeback. If you're a person who has ever endured difficult times, which have left you feeling disconnected from your authentic self, a little bruised, or even a little broken, this podcast is for you. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me for this episode of After the Crisis with Victoria English Martin. I'm Victoria, and I'm excited to have a special guest here today. Her name is Kaylee Vogelzang, and she is the editor in chief of Cancer Wellness Magazine and director of business strategy at Vogelzang Law. Kaylee, <laughs> your name is a mouthful. Oh, it's, no, it really is. You should, and my middle name is Tisbury. I saw that. Kaylee applies her leadership ability and experience to help those affected by cancer. In both her personal and professional life, Kaylee strives to champion and support causes for which she feels strongly about with overall human health and wellness topping the list. As Director of Business Strategy at Vogelzang Law, Kaylee oversees the general operations at the firm. She aims to grow and expand Vogelzang's law's community presence, as well as connect to new potential clients affected by mesothelioma and provide them with a smooth and transparent legal process. In 2017, Kaylee formed Cancer Wellness Magazine, and the magazine's first issue debuted in July of 2018. An enlightened lifestyle magazine, Cancer Wellness consolidates wellness resources and offers a public forum for the exchange of stories from the many faces of cancer. Cancer Wellness's unique mix of health, wellness, beauty, and medical innovations provides all the essentials for an ever-growing community to thrive with and beyond the scope of cancer. Kaylee, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This is certainly a pleasure. Yes, I have been looking forward to this conversation for a while. So thanks for joining me today. Let's start by just talking about what is cancer wellness and what inspired you to create it? Sure. So as you had mentioned, my husband and I run a law firm. We specialize in mesothelioma and some other cancers caused by negligence. So negligent companies who are putting out and producing products with the knowledge already that these products are causing cancer. And so they put them out regardless. It's our responsibility to make sure that they're held accountable because they, uh, unfortunately, people are dying as a result. And so I've been around for about 14 years. My husband has been in the business for about 20. And that's a lot of people. Most of our clients come to us with about a year to a year and a half to, to live. And so it's not just our clients, but it's really the infrastructure around them. And so that support network. And mm-hmm. so uh, late 2016, early 17, I was talking to one of our employees, Morella, and we were chatting. We're always trying to figure out how to provide better customer service, how to make sure that we're serving this population that is just really, really in a tough, tough spot. And we started chatting. We said, well, why don't we come up with a resource guide for our clients and their families? Because people are asking us, do you have any recommendations? What would you do? Where would you go? And frankly, at a certain point, I felt like my responses were inadequate. And that I should really figure out what to do because it it would just feel good. So we started 
we thought it might be 10 or 12 pages. And, and we started reaching out to some local organizations that provide good services. So some spas and and some of the local characters and some of the larger organizations as well, like ACS and Komen. And we started getting these wild responses that no one has done anything in the lifestyle space for cancer. No one has consolidated. You need to think about actually turning this into a publication and having a go at it. And so I have to say, I, I sat on it for a minute there. <laughs> I can imagine. It is certainly a bit of a pivot, but I think that the interest alone in the concept and the excitement and support that we had from our local community was such that it almost was at that high pitch level that you can't ignore anymore. And yes. So, so I said, all right, let's take a run at it. And so, yes, at this point, we're a quarterly. We focus on lifestyle. So everything from beauty, nutrition, travel, there are right now, no, but certainly, but, but there are beautiful places around the world that have been, that have been trained in, in how to deal properly with people who have cancer and who are going through a journey. Mm-hmm. And so all of those resources, I wanted to kind of humanize or rehumanize this experience because the tragedy on our clients' faces were, were just such that, that you can't help but try, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So yes, we're we're young and we're a um, we're a young publication, but we have what we're doing feels really good, and we have a really really um, nice start. And so we're just excited to be able to share uh, the messages, and they're not even my messages, which is which is really part of it. It's really the stories of others that we've found to be the most impactful. And so I, along with my team, have taken it upon ourselves to ensure that we're getting people's stories out and trying to make sure that the reporting is done from the front lines, if you will. Because while I've been around cancer quite a bit, I don't have cancer and I'm, I'm not the authority. So we rely on we rely on the sort of voices of, of experts all over. That's wonderful. I remember when I was diagnosed just over two years ago, it was absolutely overwhelming to be a patient newly diagnosed. And it is not easy to find resources. I mean, you really, I remember just kind of piecemealing things together. Um, resources for my physical well-being, my mental well-being, my spiritual well-being, all these things. And you're so right about what you said, that having cancer survivors or cancer patients share their story makes it so much more relatable for us. They're the only ones who understand what we're going through. So when I stumbled across your magazine on social media, I was so relieved because I thought, okay, I can stop Googling all the time. Here's, here's a consolidated resource that really addresses just about every level of the cancer experience. And also for caregivers, which that is a very underserved community as well. So thank you as a cancer survivor for doing what you do. And I love what you said about, you know, you're just kind of a, a messenger And that's sort of how I look at what I'm doing with my podcast. It's just a place for people to share their stories. And I think cancer patients and anyone who's been through a crisis or a trauma, what they want most of all is to feel heard, to feel like their story matters. And that's something that's been my mission and clearly is yours as well. And I thank you for that. Oh, well, I say it right back at you, certainly. I feel like cancer is such a huge issue and sometimes people still want to sweep it under the carpet. 
And the statistics are in, right? Approximately a third of us in our lifetimes will face some type of cancer. And so it's not someone else. It's not somewhere else. Right. It's here. And uh, unfortunately, it seems here to stay. And so we need to figure out how we're going to address it, how we're going to address these things mentally and try to just get through them. And a crisis they are, to your point. I like the word atomic when the news comes in, that this is really atomic. And of course, right now, I feel like it's especially relevant and pertinent to discuss this because sometimes cancer, again, seems foreign, like an alien situation to people. But with COVID, And with all of the things that everyone has been going through, understanding what being immunocompromised looks like, for example, what feeling scared about medical looks like, what that type of trauma and how people are processing those traumas during and, and of course, as we'll, we'll see afterwards, will be very interesting. And so I actually feel like they can, in some ways... Um, that relatability to the cancer community right now really lends a nice opportunity for us to be able to say we're all human and we really are in this together and look at this from a very human perspective. And that's that's always been one of my frustrations with some of the, well, with some of the literature and some of the resources out there that are so um, technical and clinical that I've found people don't want to be a number. As you were saying, people want to be heard. And so how to uh, ensure that that voice sort of comes through. And and of course, with COVID too, our voices all need to be heard. And and hopefully we can, through this process and journey, we can become a little bit more empathetic. I agree with that. And I have found some of my friends who have not been through a health scare before, thankfully, I've been able to give them a little bit of perspective to just say, listen, this is a time for patience, for educating yourself from accurate sources and to have compassion with yourself and others. Because just like my journey, I didn't have a finish line. I didn't know exactly when things would go back to normal. And I realized later, as you know, my impetus for starting this was that there is no normal afterwards. It's life after the crisis. So I can appreciate what you said. I'd like to touch briefly on what you said about the complicated literature and things like that that are available. One thing as a breast cancer patient that I never realized before, but when the first October Breast Cancer Awareness Month came around when I was in treatment, I looked at it from a new perspective because I looked at this as, okay, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Everyone's wearing pink. That's great. Love all the ribbons and t-shirts and everything's washed in pink. But let's talk about the difference between awareness and education. I love that. Yes, we are all aware of breast cancer. What I find lacking, and again, this came through glaringly as I was a patient in treatment, is education. Women still really don't know what to look for, the different types of breast cancer. When I was diagnosed, I said, triple negative. What is that? Sure. Yes. What do you have to say about that? I cannot know what exactly you went through, but I can tell you that that experience is a very common one. Yes, because you deal with patients of all different types of cancer. So I'm wondering if they find some of the same experiences. Very much so. People go into a state of shock. I think that we had actually touched on this a bit. And I think you're a bit of an expert on this. In fact, on a crisis side, Mm -hmm. people shut down. And it's really hard to get your bearings for a while. And 
I think it's a common experience. And unfortunately, with uh, stress and trauma, there are a lot of commonalities. And when we throw cancer into the equation, absolutely, there are a lot of very, very similar stories and perspectives. So I certainly agree with you. I think what's wonderful, or one of the things that's wonderful about what you're doing is that you are really in the game and you are really open and willing to share what kind of coping mechanisms and techniques you've been able to adopt. Your background in nutrition and your background in exercise, of course, I'm sure helped throughout your own journey, but it's also your ability to identify that something has happened what people are going through Mm -hmm. and then to say, look, forget it. We're not going to sugarcoat it. This has been a traumatic crisis and we need to introduce some new uh, tools into our toolbox. Yes. Some new, some new conversation. And one of the things I strive to do is I try and create awareness. I'm sure you're doing the same thing when, when you share stories and resources is make them accessible and understandable because If you go down the rabbit hole of Google after you get diagnosed, you will be convinced that you're going to die momentarily. (laughs) And it just adds to the trauma and the anxiety. And like you said, could cause you to shut down. And so I think the more that you and I and, and people in this community can advocate for education, not just awareness. We don't just need ribbons. We need to know this is what to look for if you are a nursing mother and you feel something, and the doctor wants to say it's probably a milk duct. Mm, maybe not. Advocate as much as possible. Yes, advocate. Absolutely right. And proper advocacy, in my mind, is just that. It's ensuring that you're educated so you can advocate for yourself. Yes. And so the earlier, the better in terms of education on this topic. Mm -hmm. We have some interesting things that have happened in the last 10 years. We have things like BRCA testing and BRCA 1 and 2. Right. Understanding that BRCA can be carried by men and passed down even asymptomatically. So you have a lot of information. I think Google's lovely, but goodness, there is so much out there. And so trying to see through it. But that education, you're right. And fortunately, with understanding things like BRCA, we are able to do some better testing and people are starting to understand if there's a history of breast cancer in their families. Mm -hmm. Look, put whatever you think or don't want to believe or everything aside, go and get tested. The alternative doesn't look good. And, And I've heard these stories and I've heard them from loved ones. And so it's from an early age, we need to get that started, right? And then- Oh, yes. I unknowingly, I have a large, large family on my father's side, and it turns out I do carry the BRCA1 mutation from my father's side. Who would have thought? And hopefully that kind of testing will become routine someday so that people aren't faced with pain out of pocket if there's no family history. It never dawned on me to get tested because I had no family history and I got my mammograms and everything was fine. So I was blindsided. Now I have the knowledge to pass on to my daughters so that they are monitoring themselves very closely. Their doctors are aware of it. And whenever I get a message, which I get several now from different people saying, I felt something you know, should I wait? My advice every time is run, don't walk to the doctor. And if they say it looks like it could turn into something, let's give it a few months. I say, you plant yourself right there in that chair (laughs) until they follow through. Yep. So 
I think the more we can get that message out there, the more lives it's going to save. And I hope people can overcome the fear because it is scary when you find something like that, but there's no getting around it. So you either face it head on or you wait and face something even more critical. So I appreciate that. Talk to me about what is going on. Well, first of all, there's more cancer survivors today than there used to be, which is a good thing. But we face a lot of challenges when treatment ends. And I know I wasn't alone when I came out of treatment and felt I had expectations of what I would feel like physically, emotionally, spiritually. And society also has expectations. They see us ring the bell and they think, yay, she beat it. All is good. And then no one knows what to say or do. I know I'm not alone because I see this all the time in my groups that we're coming out of treatment and we're traumatized. And that's where I feel like there's a big gap because the doctors say goodbye. We'll see you in six months. The community support is kind of gone. You're sort of tired of talking about yourself. And so when people say, how are you? You get tired of saying, I'm not well. And you just say, I'm good. I'm grateful. All these things, but there's a lot going on internally. So talk about that and some of your experience of what you've heard. And it's also very relatable, I'm sure, during this COVID crisis and how you present resources for the survivors. Absolutely. From the survivor's perspective, as well as from the support network around anyone, both of those groups, we try to pay a lot of attention to because You're right. Your journey doesn't end. A journey is a journey. And it's kind of an epic in some ways. It's almost uh, Homeric. I was about to say the Odyssey. (laughs) That's a good, I haven't heard that one before. That's a good one. It is kind of like that. A little Homeric, a little little bit. um, If you think about the idea of all of a sudden um, Odysseus returning to his home, and we call that Gnostis, right? Which is homecoming. Mm -hmm. And that idea of all of a sudden, everything's good, and let's have a party. Let's and celebrate. And let's celebrate. It tends to not actually be the case. You know, there might be a few days or, or a week, and it might be almost a honeymoon period in some yes. ways. And, and uh, actually, and some people hold on to that, but I would say the majority don't. The majority of people who I've spoken to, whose stories I've read, have from mild to pretty significant stress for years afterwards. And so mm-hmm. I think when we're talking about, I guess now we're, we're, onto, we're onto the Vitruvian person. I don't even know if we're talking about Da Vinci, but if we're talking about that treating the whole person, and mm-hmm. I, I think that you, we need to look at that and expand it to the whole situation. Yes. Right? And we need to be treating the whole human and saying that within this context of cancer, The journey ends before you know that you have cancer, right? And then it really, after that first visit, or however that's really discovered and confirmed, from then, you know, it's pop, pop, pop. It's a barrage, right? Yes. And so all of that is a lot, and that's a big hump to get over. And then it goes into sort of a stasis. And for a while, it's people going through the emotions and trying to get through each day and keeping some of those dates in mind. It's, it's always huge. Is those oh, end yes. dates are always huge. But then once they come, they come and go. Yes. Perfectly and, said. And in terms of resources, we certainly tell, tell the stories. And importantly, some of the coping techniques that perhaps you have developed throughout your journey ensuring that those coping, uh, whether it's meditation, breathing, yoga, so making sure that you're both mentally and physically 
in as stable a place as you can be, we need to extend that timeline, right? And we need to say, you know, if we're not off green juice and smoothies yet, and perhaps we never really should be. And and I know I'm minimizing it in a sense, but I uh, don't mean to because the counseling, I think, is something that necessarily needs to be covered by insurance afterwards. I'm, I'm huge on it because it's life altering. Your life will absolutely never be the same. And I've only encountered a couple of people in my time who have said, you know, that happened a long time ago. I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it was done. And who I actually believe. <laughs> but it's well, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so, easy so to... Sure we have all of it. We allow access to yoga and to meditation. We do live broadcasts of some of those. And we try to keep that support up for everyone. That's wonderful. Yes, I saw that, that you had some yoga and other activities. And I like what you said about it being kind of the new normal for the rest of our lives. And learning to just manage that. It's just a way of life now to understand that it's okay to not be okay six months out of treatment. It's okay to not be okay a year or two years out of treatment as we deal with the fear of recurrence and we deal with lingering physical issues. I was practically incapacitated for months and months with chronic pain and all of these things. And I had all these expectations of my body. And I thought, well, I'm an athlete, I'll bounce back. And, And I wasn't bouncing back. And so I was frustrated. And then I was I felt a sense of shame for not being more grateful for what I had, that I was alive when some of the, my pink sisters in my groups were not. So I think all of those emotions are something that we're uncomfortable with as survivors and don't want to talk about. So there's shame and we want to dismiss it and minimize it and it takes a toll on us. So I love that you're allowing those conversations and providing those resources in one place because it's a hard thing to talk about. It's a hard thing to reach out and be vulnerable. A lot of people write the guilt of already feeling like you've burdened perhaps your family and friends emotionally and all the rest. It's tough. And I think that it's part of our culture anyway to throw a stiff upper lip on and keep walking, right? Sometimes it's not really possible. And so we need to, during this time, actually, as you bring COVID up, being patient with oneself and and being forgiving of thoughts, mm-hmm. of actions, of perceived misdeeds, or, or just perhaps being in a place where other people are not, whether it's in a tough spot, or if it's in a relatively easier spot, our trouble kind of can seep in from any sides. And and so it's back to that trauma and what do we do to deal with a stress and post-traumatic stress disorder? Mm-hmm. The statistics tell us that maybe 80% of people who have breast cancer are going to experience some type of symptom, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're talking about what they're actually going through and what right. that really looks like because I think it's a guilt thing. People feel like it's adding insult to injury on others when in fact, it's back to the, you need to take care of yourself in order to help others. And that means to me, oftentimes talking about what it is and, and figuring out what you can do to get through it. Breathing. I agree with that. I agree with that. What I came to realize was that I finally, you know, took a look at things and I said, okay, my treatment lasted over a year. So I am going to give myself that 
amount of grace and beyond to then heal on every level. But I realized that because I was becoming no good to anybody. I wasn't feeling competent as a mother, as a wife. I couldn't take care of physical things that I needed to take care of. I was exhausted and depressed. And I thought, I need to address this because I want to heal. I want to feel joy again. I want to feel grateful, genuine gratitude, not just brokenness. So I embarked on that journey and it's been life-changing so that now I'm more present. I can appreciate each day and take the challenges as they come. And it was one of the harder things I had to do to come out after everything I'd been through and say, you know, I'm really not okay. I'm really not. I am grateful to be alive, but life kind of stinks. (laughs) There's a lot of brokenness. Yeah. So did you experience nightmares and flashbacks and things like sleeping, anger? What was your experience while we're on the topic? Yes. Mine was a lot like others that I've heard. I have always been very goal-oriented and focused on achieving things and I became very frustrated after treatment because I felt like I was supposed to like, okay, I achieved this. So now I can achieve the next thing. When I was going through treatment, I had 16 rounds of chemo and my oncologist thought I was completely nuts because I promised him at the end of 16 chemos, I was going to do 30 pushups. And I did. So in my mind, which is crazy good, but in my mind now looking back, I associated my grit and determination with effecting an outcome, that it would somehow ensure that the cancer would go away and never come back. So when I had my double mastectomy, they found some remaining cancer and thankfully they got it out, but I had not had the result from chemo that we'd expected. So that put me back into the higher recurrence group again. And and that I realize now was the disconnect because I was like, if I work hard enough, I can achieve this. So when I came out of treatment, it was the same thing. I thought if I work hard enough, I can, I signed up to climb a 14er, which in Colorado means you climb an elevation of 14,000 feet. I signed up for that like two months after I finished active treatment. Insane. But again, (laughs) but I thought if I push hard enough, and that was where I reached the breaking point where I said, maybe I need to stop pushing. Maybe I need to stop pushing. But yes, I was having flashbacks. I was having nightmares, interrupted sleep. I was definitely experiencing a disconnection from my body. I had disassociated it from it because during cancer, everything that comes at you hurts. Everything going on in your body hurts. There's no tenderness. There's no gentleness. And I realized that I had disassociated from my body and was still getting used to this new look with the mastectomy and everything. So one of the things I did was to work a lot through yoga and breathing and grounding, walking in the grass, feeling the textures around me, the scents around my body, things like that to sort of bring me back into my body. Yeah. And then just dealing with a lot of hard trauma, you know, talking things out, grieving my breasts grieving the loss of my ovaries and uterus. So things that you say during treatment, you say, oh, I'll do whatever I have to do to save my own life. But there's still a grief process that needs to be acknowledged. Right. And that person who you've been developing your entire life up to that point, right? I don't know what age you were diagnosed. Anyway. 47. 
so all of those experiences and all that time that, that you have put into honing and understanding who you are, right? And finding an ounce of stability and comfort within yes. your own skin. And all of a sudden, just being ripped, it's almost like your soul's being ripped yes. of it. Yes. And then you're supposed to, once clear, you're supposed to be able to jam that sucker back in to the totally not really yours. I mean, it is. And mm-hmm. you have to eventually take ownership. But I, I think yeah. that kind of breaking in process, too, is very, very common. And I think that we need to be extremely respectful and certainly from a broader perspective, we need to develop more systems and more resources to help people understand that they're not alone through this grieving. They're not alone with uh, things like mental fog and flashbacks. It's tough. It it can be extremely tough um, for people to operate, period. To just get outside, period, can be really tough. Mm -hmm. Your experience is was certainly challenging it sounds like were there catalysts that sort of made you feel like the transition back or into more of a comfortable position with your understanding occurred yes last june i kind of hit a low point because i while attempting to do that 14er i developed cellulitis under one of my tissue expanders and ended up I was hiking one day and the next day I was in the hospital for three days with cellulitis. So that was the point where I kind of, I went into a a pretty deep depression, but I also realized it was time for me to re-examine my old tool belt and, and realize, look, Victoria, pushing is not the way to go. You need to have some surrender here. So yes, I started working intensely with a therapist and started doing a lot of mind body work. I did a lot of acupuncture, dry needling to help with mobility and pain, and started an anti-inflammatory diet to help with my joint pain. I've developed arthritis in several parts of my body because of chemo, and I have a fried thyroid, which explains my voice. So unfortunately common too. Mm -hmm. Yes, I know. So anyway, yes, I did a lot of those things, and I'm feeling much better. I had a breakthrough moment a few weeks ago when... We went into quarantine and I was outside playing basketball with my daughter and I could kind of run around. My feet weren't throbbing and I could reach up overhead to throw the ball. Those are all big things for me because before my feet would be on fire, I didn't have that mobility. So yes, there's been lots of milestones recently, but it's taken a lot of work to get here. And I'm I'm grateful that I've had the resources and your magazine being one of them to just understand that it's okay to go on this journey of introspection and self-healing and find, I think for the first time in my life, really find some self-compassion. Yes. For one reason or another, I just thought of this. We are running a story actually in this current issue. It's on a company called True North Treks. I don't know if you've heard about them. Mm-mm. But a woman came up to me in Chicago. I was presenting at an event and she said, have you heard of True North? And I said, no. She said, it brought me back. And so then I started wondering why and how and where and let's get more information so that other people can, yes. can um, experience this. And from True North, for example, it's really going on these treks into nature and oh, yeah. feeling it's a little bit sort of like outward boundy or yeah. to reconnect with yourself, with nature, as you said. And so fortunately, there are these kind of gems out there 
And whenever yes. I hear of them, I am all over it because of, there are very powerful things that we can do that are in our power to do. Right. That can really help make some of those changes and be that catalyst. You're making such a difference, really. I mean, just like I said, the fact that you're, whenever you hear about these little gems, that you're all over them and want to share with your readers, what you said a few minutes ago about the journey of cancer and life after cancer is the most accurate, insightful description I've ever heard from someone who has not had cancer. Oh, thank you very much. That's honestly, I've never heard someone who has not experienced what we've gone through speak so accurately about the journey. So you are really gaining a lot of insight and sharing so much. You have a lot to offer. I really appreciate you because there aren't many people who have not suffered through this who care to have that level of understanding. So I speak for many cancer patients when I say thank you for that. That almost made me cry. (laughs) Now you're making me cry. (laughs) Unfortunately, the cancer-affected population, and so that's anyone who has any contact, we're talking about Mm -hmm. family supporters, anyone who's also working with people who have cancer. Mm -hmm. This is a community that we must find. This is our family, right? And we need to take responsibility and and make sure that we are taking care of ourselves and taking Mm -hmm. care of our own and really moving away from a lot of the alienation and isolation that has been, it's been so sad to understand what people feel and sometimes are treated like, frankly. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. I was blessed during treatment to have excellent resources and excellent doctors and caregivers and things like that. And that's my inspiration is to simply pay it forward because I know that not everybody is as fortunate as I was. So I use this little platform to just give others a voice just like you do. And I, I love that someone as intelligent and resourceful as you is leading this charge with cancer wellness. It's beautiful. Your words are very, very kind. And I have to say again, back at you, it's, it's really is about amplifying our communal voices and addressing this as a society. And I'm very happy to do my part in that and Mm -hmm. marvelous job as well. And And it's also, it's really refreshing that you are putting yourself out there, not even just in an article or a story, but you are constantly out there and are willing to share some of the stuff that is really, it's, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's not not pretty. It's hard to talk about, but I feel like if I talk about it, maybe it will make someone else feel a little more comfortable talking about it when they're going through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From taking something that's not pretty Mm -hmm. and being able to actually mold it into something that someone, something almost tangible that someone can go forth and use. Mm -hmm. That is beautiful. So yes. I think you can can give yourself a couple of... uh, I'm I'm just grateful to be here and be able to do it. So tell me, as we start to wind up, what are some of your hopes and dreams for cancer wellness going forward? Well, our foothold in Chicago is getting there. Of course, we want to make sure that everyone has the access in Chicago. But to really start taking our message and developing the coast, so ensuring that our national markets at least have uh, understanding and access. And there are so many people affected by cancer these days. 
it's really wonderful and a big job. And the good news is that there are so many people with knowledge and resources. And that's what I depend on because it's not only that I cannot ferret out everything, but that sometimes these individuals who are out there and organizations are doing so much great work on their own that they don't know if they have time to share. And so I, I would just say one of my bigger hopes is that even more people and resources will continue to um, get in contact and who we can write about and really help develop a system of support and system of success. Pre-diagnosis, what to look for once you're diagnosed, how the caregivers can provide support, how the caregivers can be supported, all of those things. Just like a big encyclopedia. (laughs) (laughs) And it really is. It's about content. And we take a lot of pride in that. And I'll be really excited to see in the next year, two years, five years, 10, etc, how that content is going to be able to build. We already have Mm -hmm. a lot and it's right now it's all free and available at cancerwellness.com. We um, of course have our the physical copy, which you can subscribe to and order. But right now we've opened the doors. So yes, please welcome everyone to our content. And I encourage everyone also to please share your voice. It's only through sharing that we can gain greater understanding and that education Mm -hmm. that you um, so eloquently uh, put. Yes. Uh, so it's uh, cancerwellness.com. Dot com. Mm-hmm. Cancerwellness.com at cancerwellmag. You can access it for free. Absolutely. And, and I will tell you, Cancer Wellness is great at responding. So if you have a story to share or a resource, find your voice, take a big sip of water, find your voice and, and reach out to them because they're very receptive to all stories, to all resources. Kaylee, you are coming from a place of such genuinely pure intention that I know the universe has your back and this is going to grow into something that's going to help so, so many lives, including mine. Victoria, I wish you all the best. Keep at it. And that's it. If you do wish to submit a story or a story idea, or if you know someone who you think it would be great to spotlight, you can um, please just drop an email to submissions at cancerwellness.com. You can also DM us on Instagram or Facebook, any way you want to contact us. Our intention is, of course, to be as receptive as we can. Yes, you guys are great and very responsive. So to all my listeners, I will have all of these links and resources available on the episode webpage. So please, like I said, reach out to Kaylee and her team. And thank you so much for being here. This was a wonderful conversation. It really was. I really appreciate it. Everyone have a great week. Thank you to our frontline healthcare workers, sending you a big shout out and be well. Bye. Thanks for listening to After the Crisis with Victoria. For more about me, how I can serve your needs and links to our special guests, please subscribe to this podcast and visit victoriaenglishmartin.com. Also, come on over to our free Facebook group and join our community after the crisis with Victoria. I'm offering access to fun, healthy, and thought-provoking content. Additionally, you'll find exclusive programs, workshops, and one-on-one coaching. Until next time, count your blessings, not your burdens. And remember, there is life after the crisis.